Last month, the the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, they held a big to-do called the Oscars. Some of you may have seen it or heard of it. In the Oscars, one of the top songs nominated was a song simply called Happy. And if you have kids or have ever been around kids, you know the song. And unfortunately, it's probably going through your head right now. The song is a really catchy tune. It's a fun beat. There's a guy that has a very big hat who sings it. The lyrics are simple. The song is all about being happy and how nothing can bring me down because I'm happy. And that's, I'm not going to sing it for you, don't worry, this morning. Aside from another song that I won't mention because that will definitely get stuck in your head, that won the best original music award, this was probably the, the most contagious song of that night. And if you've ever heard the song... You know what I'm talking about? It, it's a beat that even though you don't want, you don't want it to get stuck in your head, it gets stuck in your head. It's contagious. It doesn't have very much content, but it peaked at number one in the US, the UK, Australia, France, Germany, Ireland, New Zealand, and 19 other countries. To say it's a big song is an understatement. As of this week, the song has remained at the number one position longer than any other song in the calendar year, 2014 so far. The single already passed since the beginning of the year. It's four million dollars, I mean, four million sales mark. This month, it was the first song of the year to do that. The song's catchy, happy. I think part of the reason why is that it's so big is that everyone wants to be happy. And when you hear somebody singing so exuberantly about how happy they are, you want to be happy like them too. And it's contagious. That happiness kind of rubs off on you. And you want to be happy too. You want some of that happiness that they have. But Pharrell Williams' song, although it's really catchy, the world's played it for five minutes, it sings about happiness that really doesn't last. There's not anything wrong with enjoying a benign song like Happy my kids, when they watched Despicable Me Too, they, they danced and sang this song. Now it just drives me nuts. But, but people, I, I think it reflects something. Why it's so huge. Why, why it's remained in the number one. Why it's sold four million copies is because people everywhere are searching for happiness. They want happiness. The idea of pursuing happiness, I think it's so ingrained into humanity that our very own declaration of independence, how does it begin? It begins with saying, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and, and what did it hold really high? The pursuit of happiness. I don't think this began with Thomas Jefferson, though. Throughout the ages, mankind has always sought happiness, sought to be happy. Maybe in this culture today, there's an over-awareness of whether we feel happy or not. But regardless, it is a common thing for humanity to desire to be happy, to pursue happiness. Mankind's motivated, I believe, by delight. We were built that way. We were built to delight. We were, we were made to delight. We were made for happiness. Some people pursue happiness in many ways. Some people pursue happiness actually through isolation, through withdrawing from people that are happier. Some people pursue happiness through manipulation, by trying to, to, to be happy by having everybody do what they want. Some people pursue happiness through finding an altruistic purpose or cause to live by. 
Some people pursue happiness or joy through work or pleasure or sex or music or entertainment or the acquiring of property or great wealth. But, but all, all of those things, all those things are just like an empty song. They don't have a lot of content. They promise a lot, but don't deliver very much. And I think that's why people go from one thing to the next looking to get, looking to keep that feeling of happiness. But somewhere deep inside, we know that something is intrinsically wrong. That living for all these other things, it doesn't bring peace, which results in happiness. It doesn't bring purpose, which is the source of our happiness. It doesn't bring happiness to us ultimately. You see, ever since the very first man, Adam... He chose to do what? He chose to live for himself instead of living for God. Ever since he chose to pursue his own way, something's been terribly wrong in this earth. Something's been terribly wrong with mankind. Man has been separated from the presence of God. The very one that we were made, that we were purposed to live for. Our very purpose for living was to glorify God, to show His greatness in life. And we were designed to show His image perfectly. And then that got corrupted and our joy was robbed. Mankind lost our ability to fulfill our purpose that God created us for. Adam and Eve, they had perfect peace. They had perfect peace with God. They related to God and to each other with no fear, completely naked, unhindered. No fear, no shame. Sometimes this source of sadness is that we're so aware of our failings and weakness and shortcomings. Can you imagine the happiness of knowing no sin? But the sin of Adam didn't just keep man from fulfilling his purpose. It robbed man of true peace. It robbed man of peace with God, of peace with each other. All mankind since then has been born into sin and doomed. Doomed to death. Separated from God, unable to do what we were created to do. We weren't made to sin. We weren't made to die. We weren't made to be separate from God. But but God wasn't taken off guard somehow. He had planned a rescue mission from before everything went wrong. And He spoke to His people throughout the ages. And He sent them prophets, people to speak His words, to tell of His rescue mission, to tell of His plan to remake humanity through His new chosen one. Through the Messiah, the Christ. And God chose to make His will known and to make a covenant with Abraham. And then He told Abraham that it wasn't just for him and his descendants. It was through him that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then God set up a sacrificial system for the Israelites. To show them their need for God. To to make a way for them to come near to Him. And to show them that the standard for coming to Him was absolute, complete perfection. And then God showed that what was needed was a sacrifice. And He showed them that through the constant blood sacrifices of animals that they were not sufficient. They had to continually sacrifice animals because a single animal and thousands of animals could never pay the debt for mankind. And then, in fulfillment of countless prophecies throughout God's Word over thousands of years... God sent His very own Son to take the form of a man, to become a man, fully God and yet 
fully human. And he came in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was born in lowly circumstances as a baby. And he was tempted to live for himself and to live for his own glory. He was tempted just as Adam was and just as every one of us is tempted. He was tempted to sin in every way like we are, but it says he was without sin. And then this sinless one, this perfect one, this perfect man, this new Adam, he offered himself as a perfect substitute for humanity. And then he was abused, he was mocked, and he died for us, taking all of God's wrath for man's rebellion. And he was punished for man's sins. But the story doesn't end there. You see, if it ended there, it would be proof that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. If Jesus had remained dead, then he would have just been a misguided fool. It would have been proof that Jesus was not who he said he was, but it did not end there. He didn't stay dead. He was raised to life by the Holy Spirit. Luke, the physician, he wrote his two-part history of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. They were originally joined together in one volume. He tells us about just after this resurrection of Jesus in Luke 24, 33. Let's hear God's holy inspired word. Luke 24, 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, listen to these two words, for joy. They were And were marveling. He said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything about written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word that reveals who You are, that gives us confidence in all that You proclaimed about Your Son throughout the Old and New Testament. It gives us confidence knowing that because of the resurrection, all that you said is true. Thank you that you have demonstrated and proved 
that Jesus was accepted as a complete sacrifice for our sins. Father, I pray that we would have joy and true happiness in this resurrection truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the picture. The disciples are gathered. They are behind locked doors. They are afraid. They are fearful. They are doubting. They are troubled. And then it says that Jesus came to them. He knew that they were afraid. So he came to them. He didn't wait for them to have enough faith. He didn't wait for them to get rid of their doubts. He didn't wait for them to no longer be troubled. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He came to them in the midst of their fears. And what does he say? The first thing he proclaims, he says, peace to you. And I love the the ESV puts an exclamation point on that. And I can imagine, he goes, peace to you. And the very first thing that he said to them was peace to you. But they were still scared. They were frightened. They thought that they were staring at a ghost. And so Jesus has compassion on them. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet as I myself touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then he shows them his hands and his feet. And then, then I love the picture there. It says something remarkable. and It says they, they disbelieved for joy. It's, it's not that they just, just, just they disbelieved, but they, it was just too good to believe. How could this be true? This is incredible. For joy, they disbelieved. They were marveling. This is so good. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. What was their immediate response? When when Jesus spoke words of peace, when they saw the resurrected Lord, they were happy. They were joyful. It was too good to be true. What an amazing moment it must have been for the disciples who were gathered together. It all kind of came together for them in that moment. All the prophecies about Jesus that they had read as little children growing up in the Jewish culture. They would have been familiar with the messianic prophecies. And then all of those things came together at that moment as they knew that Jesus was risen. It was just as he said. Everything he said and did was validated. He really was who he said he was. And he proclaimed peace to them. He proclaimed repentance and forgiveness of sins. And Jesus said that they were witnesses of these things. You see, he was giving them peace with God. He was giving them a purpose to live for. And then later we find in Luke and then in Acts that not only was he giving them peace and a purpose, he was giving them power. He was going to give them power and fill them with the Holy Spirit because of his resurrection. They were happy. They were full of joy that was more meaningful than any other joy we can know. The question for you and for I is, how does the resurrection of Jesus affect you? How does that truth settle on you this morning? Because Jesus says we're we're, we're gathered that he is in our midst. 
And He's proclaiming peace to you this morning. How does that affect you? How does His resurrection affect you? Unfortunately for me, I must admit that there are many times, there are sadly times, when I'm not affected like God intends for me to be. And I think that it might be the case for a lot of us living here in the overchurched South, where we're so familiar with the truth about Jesus that it almost seems common. Even though the news about the resurrection is what filled the disciples with joy, sometimes for those who call themselves disciples of Jesus today, we can be less than joyful. But it should not be so. How about you? How does this good news about the resurrection of Jesus affect you? Do you, do you realize he's, he's speaking his words of peace? He's, he's speaking his, his words of purpose to you. He's, he's empowering you with his resurrection life. Maybe a reason that you might not experience being affected by the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, it could be because you're not truly a Christian. And you've just grown up hearing these truths, but you've not placed your faith and believed in them. Maybe you're afraid to believe. Maybe you don't want to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ because if it's true, it's too demanding. And like Adam, you you don't want to give up your own pursuits for God. Maybe it's because you are too familiar with the resurrection of Jesus and you need to remember just what it means and what great calls for joy it is. And I believe that God wants to do that this morning. He wants to give you renewed joy in the resurrection. Or maybe you've forgotten how important the resurrection of Jesus is to your hope. Or for others, perhaps you may not see how great your need for God is and that you truly were dead, you were truly lost. Or maybe our love may have grown cold because we've poured our hearts into other things. And God would have us examine our hearts this morning and And ask, where are we pouring our hearts and our passions, our affections into? It's possible for us to become so distracted by the cares of this world and just life that our affection for Jesus and the life we have in Him grows dim. Or maybe you are subtly, without even realizing it, looking somewhere else for hope, satisfaction, for peace, for purpose or power. Maybe you're hoping in the wrong things like career success. Or maybe you're hoping in how people view you or or your looks or your ability or your performance or our achievements. Here's the thing. At some point, all of those things will fail. At some point, all of those hopes will fail. And if our happiness is there, we will no longer have happiness. But you see, the disciples had joy, not because of the situation, not because of how things went, but they had joy in one place. They had joy in the fact that Jesus was resurrected just as He said He was. And He remains alive today. And then Jesus sent them into the world. And through Scripture, He he speaks to us today as well. And He doesn't just give us peace, but He gives us a purpose. And as He made the disciples witnesses, He's made us witnesses here. He's given us a purpose. To be witnesses of the things that He said. And as a church, we've been spending the last few weeks in the book of Acts. 
And seeing how God's plan is unhindered by any obstacle, by any challenge. The book of Acts, it presents us with a vivid landscape of what the life of the early church was like. It shows what early Christians were living for and what their focus was. It shows that, Acts shows us that the risen Jesus, He continued to be alive in and through the church. And He continued to empower and enable His people by the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts, it shows us the good news of Jesus Christ. It was central. It wasn't just secondary. It was central to the life of the church. And it was the key message of the early church. And if you've read through the book of Acts, you realize that a third of the material in the book of Acts is speeches or talks or preaching. And the majority of those are focused on one thing, the good news of Jesus Christ. And throughout the book of Acts and throughout those speeches, it's clear that they, they never, they never present the gospel as the death of Christ alone. Because with that, there's, there's no joy in the death of Christ alone. But they present the gospel as the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And throughout the book of Acts, the resurrection is central to their gospel preaching. It refers to the resurrection of Jesus in the book of Acts on over 20 separate occasions or 24 times throughout these just 28 chapters. Um, the resurrection is one of the central messages of their gospel proclamation. The good news is that Jesus came and He took our place. The good news is that He died for us. But the good news is that He did not stay dead. That He was raised again and that He now lives at the right hand of the throne of God. And He's empowering us with His Holy Spirit and He's enabling us and He's giving us his peace and he's giving us a purpose that's the good news that we see all throughout the book of Acts but since Jesus is risen we can be sure that everything that he said and all of his claims are true it says in Acts 1-3 at the very beginning we went through this a few weeks ago it says that he presented himself alive over 40 days by many proofs. Why did he do that? He wanted to make sure they knew he was alive. It was crucial that they saw that he was real. That his physical body was brought back to life. Because if he wasn't really alive, then a payment for sins was not accepted. If he wasn't alive, then he would have been a fraud. If he wasn't alive, there would have been no hope. So Jesus wanted us to be certain to know, to have definite proof that he was really alive, that he'd been raised from the dead, and that he was resurrected just as he said. Jesus wanted people to know that he himself, he said in the gospel, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus spent 40 days, he appeared to hundreds of people. And I would encourage you, if you are a skeptic this morning, if you are thinking, this just sounds like a fairy tale, I would encourage you to investigate the claims of the resurrection there were eyewitness accounts from hundreds of people that he appeared to them, eating with them, talking to them, showing them many proofs. Because he wanted them, he wanted us to know about the kingdom of God. He wanted everyone to know that they can be a part of God's kingdom by believing and trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins. In Acts one twenty two, we see that one of the main duties of the apostles of Jesus would be the witnesses of his resurrection. That's one of the main duties that we have as well as Christians is for not only for our joy to be in the resurrection, but for us to take that joy and witness of it. 
Witness of the joy of the resurrection of Christ to others. People needed to know about the resurrection because they needed to know that what Jesus said was true. People today need to know about the resurrection because they need to know that we have hope for peace with God. Acts 20, in Acts 2.22, after the Holy Spirit comes dramatically on the day of Pentecost, it comes in like a rushing wind and everything is shaken and people start speaking and the languages of the people that are hearing them and then Peter preaches a sermon. At the end of his sermon, the key focus is, is really on the fact that Jesus has been resurrected and because of his resurrection, they've received the promised power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.22, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. The resurrection was proof that Jesus was the long-foretold chosen one, the Son of God. It was proof, although he was killed, he did not go to hell, his body did not rot, he's not in a tomb somewhere, he was raised up, and there were eyewitnesses of that fact. The resurrection gives us hope to receive the peace that Jesus has spoken to us. It gives us hope to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the promise of God that Jesus pours out to those who believe in him. And in Acts 4.33 it says, And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Then in Acts 5, you see that the disciples knew that the resurrection proved that God was pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of sinful mankind. You see, the resurrection proved that Jesus really is the Savior of the world. And then in Acts 10, you can read that the resurrection means that God raised Jesus up and appointed Him to be the judge of the living and the dead. It proved that He was the long awaited, prophesied one, fulfilling prophecies given over hundreds of years that He would be the one that God would provide for the forgiveness of sins. That's why the disciples had joy in His resurrection. In Acts thirteen twenty-eight to 41 the disciples testified that Jesus had fully satisfied the law. And because Jesus was raised, we can have confidence That we are free. We sang about that this morning. We are free because of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. We're free from having to earn God's favor or be accepted by how we live. And isn't that good news? If you are trapped in, in, in feeling like I have to be good enough for God to like me, there's freedom in the resurrection that says that you can never be good enough. You have to be dead to being good enough. But you can be free. In the resurrection life of Jesus. Free from having to earn His favor, be accepted by how we live. We're free to please God because God was completely pleased with Jesus. In Acts 17, we see that Paul, he's going, and he's in the Areopagus, and he's talking to the elite of society. He's talking to the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. And he tells them that because the resurrection is true, we can be sure that God will judge the world through Jesus on the final day. As he said, and, and, and that all the people are in light of his coming judgment are commanded to repent. And Paul's grounds for preaching that was the resurrection. In Acts 24, it's clear the resurrection of Jesus gave Paul confidence that one day, just as Jesus said, 
there's going to be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust, either to glory or to judgment. And so Paul ultimately rested in God's justice in the final resurrection that his resurrection life points to. Acts 26, Paul, near the end of the book of Acts, he's testifying before Festus, the Roman governor, and before Marcus Agrippa II. He he was the king over all of Israel, the Roman-appointed king. And his main message was this. It says in Acts 26, 22, it says, So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. And here's what he's saying. The whole Bible is all about. Here's what all the prophets and Moses, the law, said was going to take place. He says that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The light the disciples proclaimed in Acts is the same that we saw towards the end of Luke. And Jesus has come to bring forgiveness from our sins. Freedom from God's punishment. That's why the resurrection is good news. That's why the disciples were happy. And like Jesus, he came and he stood in the midst of the disciples in that locked room. Jesus has come to us to bring us peace with God. And he comes and he stands in the middle of our fears and he opens up all locked doors. He overcomes all barriers and he comes and he stands and he says to us, peace to you. And he holds out repentance and forgiveness. And then he has come so that we might have joy and true and lasting and stable and never-ending happiness in him. In the midst of difficulty, not an empty happiness that comes and goes like the popularity of a song. You see, Jesus has spoken lasting peace to us. And don't we need that kind of peace? Lack of peace robs us of our pursuit with happiness, but we can have true peace with God coming from knowing that He is completely satisfied with us because of Jesus. And we can be sure that God was satisfied with Jesus because He raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus lives forever at the right hand of God proving that God's forever satisfied with His sacrifice. The resurrection Jesus, He also gives us a purpose for our lives. And don't we need a purpose? So many of us look for purpose in other things. So many people are hopeless because they feel like they have no purpose. They feel like life is meaningless. But life isn't purposeless. Even if you don't understand what God's doing, you don't understand His purposes. We can be sure that because Jesus is alive that we can trust in the purposes of God to be true because we can see that His divine plan at the very beginning always purposed to bring His Son and to raise Him to life so that He might live through us. 
Resurrection of Jesus means that we can be restored to the original purpose that God intended for mankind. We can live for a purpose that brings true happiness. We can live for Him. We can live for to image Him, to reflect Him, to show His glory in all the earth. The thing that He created us to do in the very beginning. And Jesus doesn't just give us peace and purpose. He promises power to His disciples as well. And don't, don't we need His power? All of us are weak at times. If you're honest with yourself, you may be feeling weak right now. Sometimes we're too weak to resist sin on our own. We're too weak to live as we should on our own. We're too weak to believe or to speak on our own at times. And yet He promises that He'll give us the gift of His Holy Spirit to His disciples. We need the promise of God the Father to empower us to live in a way that's pleasing to Him, to say no to disobedience and to to live for the purposes that He's called us to. Empowered to believe that we, we do have peace with Him. And the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He comes to live in and empower everyone who believes in Jesus. Our hope is that Jesus not only was alive, but He continues to be alive. He continues to be at work today in the lives of all who believe in Him. In the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation, Jesus told His disciple John in Revelation 1.17. He, he told him a word that was not just for John, but it was for us as well. And He says, Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. That is our hope. That is our cause for joy. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the key of death and Hades. And because Jesus is alive, we have no need to fear. We have peace with God. We have God's purpose for life, and we have His power to enable us to live for His purposes. And when a person becomes a Christian, the death that Adam brought is reversed. That's what the resurrection Lord standing before the disciples meant that he reversed the death that Adam brought. And as Jesus stood there, it meant that his resurrection life was breathing new life into all those who have faith in him forever and ever. Amen. In a few moments, we we get to celebrate the resurrection life that Jesus gives to all who believe in Him in a very vivid, very visual way. One of the reasons we wanted to do this at the close of the service is because we want to end in a joyful note, responding to the resurrection of Jesus. And I want, I believe that God wants us to experience joy in the resurrected Christ, that He wasn't just alive 
2,000 years ago, but that He continues to be alive. Did you hear that? Jesus continues to be alive. And every person that comes up out of the water is a testimony to the, the risen Christ. He continues to be alive and work in, in the lives of people today to make dead men and women alive in Him. Romans 6.3, the Apostle Paul tells us, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, and this is what we're going to be seeing, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For with we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Does that give you joy this morning? We know, it says in verse 6, that our old self was crucified with Him. Well, that's good news. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We should just sing hallelujah right now. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus has commanded all people to repent, to turn away from their sins and turn to the living God. We must believe that Jesus was who He said he, he was. That He is who He said He was. That He really is still alive. And then, Jesus also commanded us to be baptized as believers. And this baptism, it's an outward sign. It's a symbol of what He has done inwardly. It's a public declaration of our repentance and our faith in Him. It's an outward demonstration of the reality that we've considered ourselves dead into sin. In our old ways, we're buried with Jesus in death. And as the people who will be baptized in a few minutes are submerged under the water, I want you to be thinking about this. It's a symbol of our old self, that they're considering that their ways of living for themselves are being buried, have been buried in the death of Christ. It's an outward sign their old self's been crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so they'd be no longer enslaved to sin. And as a person being baptized is raised out of the water, it's a sign that they've been raised to newness of life, freedom from sin. The baptisms you're about to see, there are declarations that since we have died with Christ, we, will, we believe we'll also live with Him. Down in the burial waters and up in the resurrection. We're testifying that Jesus died for sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We don't need to be baptized again. It's a public way that we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. The resurrection. It was great cause for joy with the early disciples. It's great cause for joy for us too. It's proof of forgiveness. It's proof that we have peace with God. That He's given us 
His purpose. He's recreated us in Him. And it's proof that He'll give us the same powerful Holy Spirit that raised Him from the dead. will be given to us. Now, let's rejoice in the resurrection life that God gives through these baptisms.